I had my introduction all laid out here, and uh, I was thinking about you guys as a church. You're in a time of transition. Um, you know, the last year and a half has created certain levels of transition for all of our churches because we've been shut down. Uh, in various degrees and various levels. Some are just opening up some of their ministries. I know recently uh, from what I see on the website that the midweek ministries are starting up here at uh, Calvary, and it's a wonderful blessing. But it's taken a while. And uh, same, same with uh, us there at North Park uh, in Grand Rapids. Um, we've just this fall started up all of our children's ministries and things on uh, Sunday, and it's, it's been a long time coming. But you're in a unique spot because not only those kinds of transitions, you're also looking for a, another pastor, a lead pastor for your staff, and that's a challenging time for a church. And I wanted to just take a minute to talk about that, not specifically your search because every church is unique and I'm, I'm not going to insert myself there, but to encourage your hearts. I know that uh, maybe about three weeks ago, my friend Ken Floyd was here with you uh, to bring the sermon here at Calvary. Well, when, when Ken was called to the ministry he's in, he was my pastor. And I was chairman of the deacons at our church at that time. And I remember in January of that year, I got a call from Ken. And he said, uh, can you stop by on your way home from work today? Well, I did that pretty regular. We would meet and talk about different things related to our church and deacon issues, things like that. So I stopped by to see him. And he said, here's what the Lord seems to be doing in January this opportunity with the MARBC to be the director uh, of that. Uh, of course, it would mean resigning as our pastor. So terror strikes my heart <laughs> as a deacon chairman. Um, but as the Lord worked that year, in October of that year, we made that transition, and uh, Ken went into the ministry that he's in now, and it's been, I think, 14 years this October that he's been doing that. Um, and as our MARBC representative ministering to the churches. So now our church, he had been there as the pastor for a number of years. I think it was uh, 12 years that he was a senior pastor at North Park. The church typically has had longer pastorates, 12 or more years. So we're without a pastor. We went into a search. And you know, over the next 10 years, we did three different pastoral searches because we had that kind of turnover in our church. We went a year without a pastor. We called a man. Very unique and difficult circumstances came up. After three years, he was gone. We went three years without a pastor. Then we called a man, and he was there three years, and then he was gone. And we went a year, and uh, Pastor Phil, who's there now as our senior pastor, preaching this morning, and I prayed for him on my way down, um, he's been with us. Uh, it'll be uh, three years at, uh, in October, and we're praying for Phil. <laughs> my, my, my reason for sharing that is not to strike terror in your heart. You're looking for a pastor, and, and we pray that you'll find, and we know the Lord is going to bring that man. I want to remind you of something. You have two pastors right now. They're working helping to provide leadership, and uh, you've got a team of deacons that are working. And so every reason to be encouraged in the Lord. The Lord will bring you a senior pastor to help with the ministry here. My reason in sharing that is because the Lord has been so good to North Park. All of that 
Call it turmoil if you want. Short ministries, issues that we had to work through as a church, but the cohesiveness and the ministry that's there and the strength of the ministry is amazing, and it can only be attributed to the grace of God. And so for you, as you look for uh, a senior pastor, we don't know God's timing. It may take a while, maybe not. But as that goes along, there is still work to be done for the church family. And your faithfulness in giving, in attending, in worshiping, of coming out for ministries, of being willing to serve, that's what we're going to talk about today, is a key component in the flourishing of this church and the ongoing ministry of the Word of God. And during COVID, everything shut down. There's a lot of reasons why ministries are struggling. Churches all across America are struggling to get workers. Lots of people, not as many volunteers. Sometimes it's that they carried too heavy of a ministry load in the past and were overburdened. Suddenly with COVID, they had to put it all down. They didn't have an option. And then it's like, what a relief. I didn't know how overloaded I was. And, but so then there's reluctance. Uh, don't want to be overburdened like that again and a little bit of reluctance to pick that up again. For others, uh, some people maybe felt kind of pigeonholed. You know how it is? You get into a ministry, you're good at it, the Lord seems to bless, and then you end up owning it for 30 years and you can't put it down. COVID forced it to be put down. And I've had desires to, in other areas. I, so I'm being careful about getting engaged again because I want to maybe try something else. Some, and this is a danger for my age and older, some it's, I've already done my time, it's time for somebody else. Very American in perspective. Uh, it kind of blends with our uh, unbiblical view of, of retirement and where I work a bunch of years and then I sit. And maybe our capacities aren't what they once were, but there's always a place for ministry and to be able to help carry the load. But that can keep people from re-engaging, a sense that I've already done my time. Then there's uh, uh, the last one that I would share here has to do with the idea of some have just fallen into enjoying their leisure. It's like, I haven't done ministry for a year and a half and I'm kind of liking it. I don't think I'll get back into that. Um, it's, not, it's not unlike there are those, some with the live stream that aren't here today because they're truly shut-ins or truly susceptible to a virus. But there are many that just plain like getting up, sitting in a recliner with a cup of coffee and watching church live stream and not coming with the gathered saints where the embodied worship. And there's that. And it falls into how then we maybe serve the Lord but I think in some ways we've taken our focus off of our purpose. And I'm, I'm speaking in broad terms. I'm not speaking directly uh, necessarily about your church. But if you're like we are at North Park, like we are at every church down the street, some of these challenges exist uh, even here. What I'm thinking in terms of, though, is the purpose of the church. We don't do these ministries to prove or validate our faith. We're saved unto good works. So we're not in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, unto good works. But we're not saved by our works. We are saved unto good works, to serve the Lord, to put ourselves out there and to be 
used of Christ. And so I'm thinking in terms of the body and bride of Christ. If Jesus died for his church, and he did, and if the gospel is mainly about bringing people into his church, and it is, then shouldn't entering fully into its life and ministry be a major priority in our lives? It's the purpose of the church. Bring people in. Serve them. We're going to see here that Peter teaches us about the priority of serving the saints even in the midst of trying and difficult times. Last time I was here, I mentioned a little bit about the cultural challenges. We won't go into that, but we face that. You turn on your evening news and it's just full of challenges in the midst of that. But then, on top of that, you're looking for a pastor. There's another challenge. In the midst of trying time, Peter teaches us about the priority of serving the saints and maybe even more so as the pressure goes up. The more the pressure goes up, the more I need you. The more you need each other. Part of how we make it, we have the ongoing, continuous presence of the Holy Spirit, but he gave us the body of Christ to pull each other up, sometimes literally to pull each other along (laughs) because we need that but to remind each other and to serve. And then he concludes uh, in verse 11, and we'll get there, but it's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. So that in the end, he gets worship and he gets praised uh, for the works of his people. And it's amazing and a beautiful things. And we need to learn our growing, not declining, but growing dependence on one another. Peter wrote this, uh, we're going to look at our text here now. This first uh, Peter, probably 63, maybe early 64, before the burning of Rome. So there's persecution going on, but not as intense as it's going to get. But Christians are being persecuted all over the world, uh, a lot of times by the Jews, because they're a heretical sect in the opinion of the Jews, but also by the pagans. Paul in Ephesus, they started a riot there. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians and all. You read those accounts in Acts. And so believers were persecuted and pressured wherever they went. And Peter, in the context of the trying times in which they lived, is is writing to people to steady their nerves, to remind them of the truth and of their purpose. And so when we get here to chapter 4, verse 7, let me read through verse 11. Thank you for reading those verses this morning and framing our worship today. That was very helpful. I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, there's, a, there's a unity to a service, you know, and I, and I love seeing that. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, 
God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, just one observation before we'll, get, we'll dissect it a little bit, but one observation. You'll notice that pretty much everything Peter has to say is an imperative. In other words, do this. Show hospitality. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. He doesn't say, I suggest, or I think, or it's a good idea. He says, do it. And that's something we need to be aware of, we, uh, that it, this is presented to us as something that we need to be doing. But then ultimately, not because we have to do it, but because we get to, because Jesus Christ is glorified. That's, our, that's the end game, if you want to say. We minister to the needs of the saints, make, uh, help to meet real needs because we love people, and we do it because Jesus gets the glory. Not for our fame or for the pat on the back or whatever. We're doing it for the glory of God. So disciplined and prayerful, this uh, first section in uh, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. The end. Uh, That word end, uh, it speaks to the point or the goal as a limit. The conclusion, the fulfillment of a purpose. Often we'll use the word consummation. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation, the consummation of the age, Jesus is coming back and he's going to rule and we're going to, the saints are going to spend eternity with him. Peter says the end of all things, it's not just we've got 10 things, we got 10 done there, it's all done. It's not that, it's the goal, the purpose. Why did God create? Why did he allow evil? Multiple, even hard questions, but the end game of it all is the glory of the omnipotent Christ. And so the consummation, the end, the glorification of Christ is near. The end of all things. Therefore, or in light of the end of all things, we struggle sometimes. What do you mean, Peter, the end of all things? I mean, uh, look at this passage. We'll put it up on the screen there. Second Peter uh, 3, 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You ever feel that way? Jesus left the earth 31 AD-ish. You know, 10 years from now-ish. That'll be 2,000 years ago. Is he ever going to come back? Peter says the end is near. The point is we live as if it's today. Not where is the sign of his coming or or, he's coming back. I believe it. And it could be today. Jesus himself when he was on this earth in Matthew 24 verse 36. But concerning that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the son but the father only. Jesus the God man. He didn't know. Not because he's limited but the God man was subject to many of the limitations of humanity as the father would will. And everything that Jesus needed to know or do, he was able to do. I only say the words that my Father gives to me. All that my Father has given me, I do. And so he was totally subject to the Father's will, including his knowledge. And so I don't know when the second coming is. I just know it's coming at that point in time. Peter says, live that way. 
Believe it. The end is near. Look at, uh, and so in light of that, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled. This is, a, this is important, these two points, that we leave, live disciplined lives. And so he says, self-controlled, the New American Standard uses, be of sound judgment. Uh, sound judgment, stable, vigorous thinking. The emotions are reined in and under control. Now, Peter was a very passionate guy. <laughs> Remember his foot-shaped mouth, right? He was always ready, shoot, aim. And, you know, um, so he knew all about this thing of emotion. And it's not saying don't express emotions, but don't live by emotional ism. Think, think with your mind, not just your heart. Have the emotions under control. They're reined in. Be sober-minded. That is rational, clear-headedness, not fogged with distractions. Uh, there's a couple of illustrations. If you flip over here, uh, just one page in 1 Peter 1. I know if you have a device, it may be a few scrolls. But um, 1 Peter 1, verse 13 Therefore, he's just, let me back up there into verse 12. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look, the amazing gospel and the birth of Christ and all of that stuff. Therefore, in light of that, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He uses the word in another place over there in uh, chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That word for devour. He wants to destroy you. Uh, that same underlying word is used in Hebrews 11.29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. That word for drowned, same word is used for devour. The, we, we have an opponent, an adversary, who literally wants to kill you, except for the protection of the Father. Just like with Job. Satan gets as far or as much leash as the father is willing to give him and nothing more. He's, with, he's a controlled adversary. And, and he says, uh, Peter says, be sober-minded, not fogged with distractions. You see that? It's my phone. Yes, it's on vibrate, so it's not going to ring, I hope. The number one, literally, distraction in most people's lives right there constant. How many times do you go into restaurants and everywhere and everybody is, you know, not talking with one another. You have a family sitting around a table. Nobody's looking at each other. Nobody's talking at each other. They're engaged with whatever feeds they're dealing with on their phone. You talk about distracted. This is one of the most distracted ages ever. I'm not down on this. Some, though, the best thing you could do is bust it in half, throw it in a dumpster, get a flip phone that you can only get text and talk and nothing else. Because that's how bad distraction is. And Peter says, have a sober mind. Rein in the distractions. 
you read your scripture on here and the whole time it's going ping, ping, bang, ping, oh, got to check this, got to check that. And you say you're trying to engage with God, but you're so distracted with everything else, how can you? I'm just saying it is an important, it's not the only thing, and I'm not down on technology, I'm, I'm really not. But this idea of sober-mindedness, clear-headedness, we need this. And why? Why? Peter gives us the why. For the sake of your prayers. We've got to have a clear head. We've got to have a clear mind. Life comes at you fast. And things happen and it's what's really inside when the emergency hits. That's what comes out. And if we're distracted and we're not focused on the Lord and on His Word, then all the crud comes out when life hits us fast. Peter says, be focused so you can pray. And he knew all about this. Uh, look at Matthew 26, verse 40 and 41. This is, the context is, is Gethsemane. They've crossed the Kidron. They go into the, into the garden and Jesus leaves the eight and he takes three more and goes farther into the garden. Then he leaves them. Watch and pray. He goes farther in and he prays. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And how are you going to watch and pray? Is you got to have a controlled mind and you've got to have self-control and be sober-minded. That life is actually quite serious. Enjoy. Laugh. Focus on Christ. Focus on his word. Keep your head clear. And then Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, he's, he's told us about put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. And he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end or to that purpose, to that goal, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. How are we going to be people of prayer as we keep our minds clear we have self-control. We're focused on Christ. Disciplined for service. The discipline is the idea of having our, our emotions in check and we're, we're focused, aiming for, for the cross, aiming for Christ. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This fervent love, uh, I'm calling it, uh, this verse 8 and 9. He's talking about the love of the saints for each other and in particular in the local church because that's where we live life. And if we're honest, um, you probably, and I know, very few here, but most probably have their immediate circle of friends and acquaintances at church that you are tightest with and closest with, and that is as it should be. We gravitate to people uh, like us or with like interest, things like that. Um, we have that, but how fervent is your love for the body of Christ? Because not everybody clicks with us. And some people put us off more or other things like that. And how fervent are we in our love for the body of Christ? 
So back over there in, in uh, chapter 1 again of 1 Peter, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Having purified your souls for obedience to the truth since or now that you have purified your souls for obedience to the truth to the truth, for the purpose of brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Notice again, it's an imperative. It's given as a command. Love one another earnestly. Love the saints. The idea that we're not all alike. Oh, uh, 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 something that I wanted to, this idea of fervent love, continuous straining as in stretching to the limit. Think of, uh, think of an athlete who's just flat out going for it. And with the Olympics, you saw that with certain events where uh, different athletes, I mean, they're giving it everything they got to take off that fraction of a second to win a race. Or on one that I made a note of, I hadn't thought of in a long time. When I was a kid, you can tell by looking at me, I'm not a weightlifter. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I loved watching weightlifting, particularly, okay, I'm going to date myself, but Wide World of Sports. They would show a lot of different sports, some of them more obscure, but the super heavyweight lifting. So these are, these are just monstrous men. The world record for the clean and jerk is like 535 pounds or something overhead. I mean, incredible. These are just massive men. Well, there was a guy, uh, his best weightlifting days were done before World of Sports, but he was a believer, Paul Anderson. And he still holds multiple world records for the super heavyweight uh, lifting category. And uh, he was uh, unorthodox in that he didn't have formal training. He developed all of his own form, uh, training techniques. Uh, his home weightlifting equipment were things like tractor tires and things that he, he built so that he could work out. And the guy was, was a mountain. He still holds the world record for the most weight lift off the floor by a human. And in that particular lift, they put weight, it's like a table, they put the weight on there, they back underneath there, support their chest, and then their knees are bent when they back underneath there, and then when they straighten their legs, lift the weight off the floor for a two count, set it down. That's an official lift. Paul Anderson, on June 12, 1957, lifted 6,270 pounds off the floor. Greatest weight ever lifted as far as recorded records by a human. There's a guy now who's lifting 4,000 some pounds off the floor. 6,000. You talk about stretching to the limit. That is what Peter's talking about on how we love each other. It's, it's almost unlimited. How, how far does the love of Christ go? Right? Are there any limits? There's no limit. He's my example. Fervent love, continuous straining, as in stretching to a limit. Love covers a multitude of sins. Not hide sin, cover sin. We're sinful beings. We're sometimes not as considerate of each other. Uh, there's, there's just multiple ways that we're sinned against. 
And the majority of that stuff is the kind of thing that we just let it pass because it doesn't matter. There are things uh, sometimes that love actually confronts sin. It doesn't hide it, doesn't spread the word just so you know. That's not what love does. Love covers sin. But when necessary, uh, love will confront sin. But even then, the goal is reclamation of the sinner, not just to prove a point or achieve a victory. Because it's love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And the church handles it within as far as it can. There are certain things where there's legality that becomes involved and then the church involves law enforcement if it has to. But whenever possible, we handle it in-house and we love each other. And most of the offenses that we take are utterly meaningless other than it piques us in some way and we get irked and we hold grudges and we sit on the opposite side of the room from each other and we've done it for 20 years and sometimes we can hardly even remember why we did it. And love covers that stuff. And just think of the Lord in, in our own sin. If he handled us the way that we handle one another, there would be no hope. Because I'd be gone before, the, before I walked off this platform. It's just the way it is. Well, this love, he says, is show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This showing hospitality, uh, literally love of strangers or fond of guests. Now, there's a broad category, hospitality, but show hospitality to one another. Now, there are those specifically, we know, gifted with hospitality. And I'm sure we all know those kind of people, some of them. I mean, they're just so welcoming. Uh, if, when they open their homes, it's almost as if it's your own home. They just have something about them that just make you feel so welcome when you're with them. If you're like me, though, I can be so task-oriented, even when I'm at church, I can be so task-oriented that I blow right by hurting people and don't even say hi or acknowledge their presence. And the disrespect in that alone... And yet I want to be a hospitable person that welcomes people and, and where pe be approachable. One commentator said uh, uh, hospitality is uh, basically we're owners of nothing and stewards of everything. You know, I've got a title to vehicles and we've got a home with our name on the title and things like that. <laughs> the Lord can take all that stuff today. He owns it. I just get to use it in that word steward. That is, I manage it. I manage what I have for him. Another commentator <laughs> in the regard to hospitality said, true Christian hospitality is making people feel at home when you wish they were home. <laughs> well, you know, you know how that is. That can... <laughs> Isn't that true? But, but there is that idea of love expressed by being hospitable uh, to people and, and how approachable am I anyway? And e am I even interested in being approached or approaching others? Yet Peter says, do it. And then he goes on, as each has received, verse 10, as each has received a gift, we all have. He's assuming here. Uh, we know from other places and with Paul uh, and in other places that specifically all of us, everyone in the room, 
has been gifted by God for service. And Peter says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We'll come back to the remainder of the verse in a few minutes. So use your gift as each has received. Now, here we are in 1 Corinthians 12. This is Paul now. There, now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The varieties, the giftedness in this room would be amazing if we were to explore that in depth. It's incredible. Sometimes, well, you know, I can't do much. Well, actually, the gift that the Lord gave you is an amazing thing. And the exhortation here is to use the gift in the service of others. Why? Well, we use it as good stewards. A steward is a a manager, someone who has oversight of somebody else's property. And there's various examples we can give, but Paul gives a good one uh, in 1 Corinthians 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So that verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. He's talking about the apostles. Those who have seen the resurrected Christ and they've been given incredible insight into the gospel and what God is doing in that day and age. And that's how, that's how he says you should regard us apostles as stewards of the mysteries of God. And those mysteries are God is doing something now that he wasn't doing in the past. Remember where Peter said the angels long to look into this stuff. And Paul says... We're stewards of the message that Christ has come and that there's an end coming when Jesus comes back and John gives us the revelation and some insights into those last days. And it's incredible and we're stewards of that, but he goes on and this applies to all of us. Moreover, it is required of stewards that we be found faithful. Peter says... As each has received a gift, use it to one another as good stewards of varied grace. You've been given a gift. I can let it sit in the closet and rot, or I can get it out and use it to serve the saints. In my church, other believers that I know, my family, but use the gifts and put them out there. He gives us uh, some direction. For the speaking gifts, oracles, um, there in uh, verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks, is one who speaks oracles of God. Uh, oracles are literally the utterances of God. As one who speaks the utterances of God. It's a, mindful, a mindfulness that if you're in a teaching role from the smallest children, whether you teach small children Uh, teenagers, young adults, old adults, um, speaking as I am now, that it is literally God's words that you're handling. 
literally the oracles. That word oracle, uh, a derivative of that is actually what's used for the most holy place in the temple. It's serious stuff. Be mindful and not flippant that this is God's word that I'm handling here. Even with a small child when I'm just simply trying to help them to learn basic Bible stories and to remember those stories that it's God's word that I'm handling. So I need to be mindful of that and handle it with that degree of respect and care that it requires. And then uh, he goes on and he talks to those who serve by the strength that God supplies. So I added to my notes here, I, I penned this in, no total retirement. I'm speaking to myself here. But by the strength that God supplies, my capacities aren't what they once were. They're just not. Um, I'm thankful for the strength and energy that God has given me at this age. When I was 30 years old, I could work a 66-hour week, take care of my home, serve at church, and still have energy to do other stuff. The strength that God supplies. Today, if I do this, I'll probably sleep all afternoon when I get home. <laughs> I'm just saying. So your capacities aren't what they once were, but there's a place of service because it's for the glory. Look at the end of our verse now there in verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And my simple acts of service to the saints are acts of worship to the living God and, and he gets glory by it. That in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We need to be disciplined for service, particularly in this day. You as a church family, I want to encourage you. Man, you got every reason to be uh, optimistic and hopeful and, and excited about the future. God's done great things here for years and he's going to continue to do great things. But you look to him and you serve him. And you don't give up because, well, you know, it's not what it was, but it's going to be great. It's going to be different maybe, but it's still going to be a good thing. And we, we trust the Lord and we serve Him until He comes. He either takes us home or He comes. We serve Him. So let's move over maybe a little bit. I put my application points as questions. I want you to think about some of this. Um, for some, that's a lot of what I've said is maybe no challenge at all. You're totally engaged. For others, I want to exhort us to live as if the end is near, because it is. Peter said it was. It's closer today than it was then. It'll be closer this afternoon than it is now. Jesus is coming. When he comes, we want to be saints that are serving him. Literally, it's an offering from your hand. You can do ministry to people and offer it. Lord, this is for you when I made that meal for this friend or this is for you when I just let it go, the comment that I heard or you know, whatever. It's for you. That's why we do this. So here's some thoughts. So number one, how are you doing with self-control? That is stable thinking with emotions reined in. I need to often stop a minute, 
think something through before responding or before, in other words, get the mind engaged. What about sober-mindedness? That is the rational, clear-headedness, not fogged with distraction. How are you doing with that? Again, it's rampant in America, all over the world, but particularly with us. Distraction. How are you doing with that? And then are you alert and in tune enough to pray? Connected to the Word of God through the Spirit of God for the glory of God. And then we pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. How are you doing? Number two, how are you doing with your love and hospitality? (laughs) We can get tested here often. Probably all of us know somebody who seems like their life purpose is to test my love. (laughs) With difficult situations. Are you a welcoming person? Again, there's personalities that play into this. We're not all wired the same. Some are just huggable the minute you see them. And and others are more like a pineapple and it's a little hard, you know, and it it takes more to get close. I I understand this. But do you want to be approachable? Do you want to be loved? Do you want to be loving? Are you a welcoming person? And then to go along with with that, uh, is this a welcoming church that receives new people well as they come in? Now, we've, my wife and I have felt very welcome when we come here, and I'm thankful for that. But it's, it's, a, it's an issue for every congregation, and, and at North Park, we, we, have, we talk about this often. But the idea that as people come in, they, they don't know, we're so accustomed, we come in the door, we know where everything is, we know the timeline. Matter of fact, we know things so, so well, we come two minutes late because we know it'll be okay, and we, we find the new person coming in, or it's usually early, they don't know where to go, they don't know what to do, how do I act, where do I stand, when do I sit, where do I sit, all these things. And if we're hospitable, we're seeing new faces, and we're putting ourselves out there to welcome them and put them at ease and help them to feel a part of what's going on here. Be a welcoming church. And then number three, are you using your gifts to serve the body? I'm certain many, most, maybe all have. But also I know as ministry opens and Preston mentioned some opportunities coming up uh, here with a fall uh, trunk or treat, there will be others that requires workers, people who will do simple tasks to help create a phenomenal event, and in this case, an outreach event. And, and who knows how the Lord will bless that. We know from this passage that uh, acts like that done with willing servants' hearts, they bring glory to Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We want to be people who are disciplined for service And to paraphrase uh, from Hebrews, we want to be people who will live lives of service in all the more as we see the day approaching. We need each other, folks. We need to serve each other. The glory of the church is the disparate individuals and people that the Lord brings together and then he puts them in in a unity together focused around Christ and literally the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Let's serve one another.